So, um, for uh, where's my wife? For those of the of the of the of the of the band uh, that want to stay and do the special sound effects, you're more than welcome. So, if you can do the dramatic strings at times, that'd be great. Uh, you, you're welcome to sit at any place, Barry. But if you want to stay right there, you're welcome as well. You can you can sit also and spiel as you All right. Who feel the old days spiel net when they last cry? All right. Okay, let's just, let's, just, let's just close our eyes and focus on the King. Uh, Lord Jesus, we, um, we thank you that we could focus even unto this very moment. Thank you that we can continue focusing. Uh, we're excited, Lord. We're excited to meet. We're excited to be together around your word. Um, we thank you, Lord, that there's something on your heart and that we are not here thinking of things, but we are here following. We are here finding. We are searching out what the Spirit of the Lord is saying. And we are so confident that you are building your church in a way that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. Lord, so we just bless your name for this morning. We bless your name for this moment in time, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that your word will pierce and bring division between that which is soul and that which is spirit. That it will impart grace and life. And Lord, so we trust you for that grace and life, grace and truth. Lord, we, we just thank you, Lord, for your words that are spirit and that are life. So, so, so be glorified as we are gathering around your word, O oh God. Help us to hear, even as we've been praying. Amen. All right. A friend of mine asked uh, that he could have a, a bit of the recording. Davi, if you can make sure that he gets it, that would be great. Um, so uh, before we, we start off, and you hoef to fully move your to spiel, before we start off, I just want to say I believe that in this moment, the Lord is at a place where there's real appreciation in His heart. And I think from myself and from the side of the elders, I'm sure um, there would be a real appreciation for every bit of giving that any one of us has given through the year. Um, there's a, an appreciation for the way that you have loved someone. I, I really do believe it. Um, there's something where the Lord sees, where the Lord knows, where the Lord appreciates. And can I say, if you've done it where no one was seeing even the more so, even the greater, greater the reward, greater the excitement um, in the Lord's heart for like, hey, I'm going to bring this up on that day and no one knew about it. I heard a story about somebody who was selling eggs um, um, and he, he's, he, him and his wife, they didn't have many, much resources, they didn't have much means but they were, that they were having a few chickens. Uh, it's, it's, it's a while ago. I'm not speaking recent. Um, they had a few chickens. But uh, with, the, with, with the, um, what the, the income that they got through the eggs, they were supporting a missionary somewhere in a different country. And so at times, there were people in the congregation that were thinking, why is he so stingy to some extent with the eggs? Why doesn't he just give the eggs? Um, uh, um, why, why does he sell them? But he told no one what the eggs was going for. He was just faithfully selling the eggs. He was saying, yeah, I'll, I'll provide eggs, but you need to buy it from me. And with that, he was supporting. And I think after he died, after the couple passed away, somewhere at some stage, it heard like they were supporting somebody with that. And I think it's such a, such a glorious thing if you are doing good without anyone knowing it. And, and can I just say, every 
a person that you took into your house, everyone that you supported, the Lord appreciates. I'm thinking of people who were praying, people who were serving behind the scenes, looking after children, maybe something like cleaning after after the Snoopy was done or I'm just doing the pancakes. Um, we, we, uh, um, the, our deacon couple, um, um, serving behind the scenes, coordinators, and, and, and um, people leading comms, um, pressing through the discomfort of Zoom meetings. Or what's everything where you gave yourself to advance what the Lord is doing in our midst? I believe the Lord appreciates that. And I want to voice it. I want to voice it here from the front and say, I believe the Lord appreciates you. Keep going on. Obviously, um, when, we, when we are pressing through obstacles, sometimes we become tired and we, and, we, and, we, and we feel like, is this really worth the work? Okay, is this really worth it? I want to say everything that we've done for the Lord Jesus and for the church that he died for is worth the work. Let's continue pressing through the discomfort, the tired, the fatigue. Amen. Is that good? And the Bible says, encourage one another daily. As you see the end approaching, and the, the end is approaching. As you see the end approaching, if you can see it, encourage one another daily to keep loving well. All of us can do better. Amen? But that doesn't mean God doesn't appreciate what has been happening. And to some extent, uh, the nice thing about a small congregation like this is you get to do a lot of stuff. That means you're cashing in on eternity. Okay? It, it's really what it means. If you can do it well, if you can give well, if you can lay your life down well, if you can cover a lot of bases, don't moan, rejoice. It is a beautiful, beautiful opportunity. And to some extent, I, I agree with Andrew. The moment that we start becoming a little bit too big, that it becomes a little bit too comfortable, we will need to multiply because it just helps all the saints. It stirs them into the more. I love it. Go. Okay. So let's really contend for the opportunities to serve. Can we do that? Probeer jou best om eerste te wees. Okay. It menaces to me. An appeal to God. And the message this morning is an appeal to God. So um, the scripture, and, and, and by the way, I'm going to aim at communion, all right? Communion, nachmal, die breek van die brood, die deelneem aan die sap of die wijn. This is to some extent the direction that we're going. But, but the title of the message is An Appeal to God. I take the, 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 um, the main um, phrase from the following scripture. 1 Peter 3.18 reads as following. Let's read together. Christ suffered once for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, the good one for the bad ones, the king of heaven for the demons of earth. Or nearly demonic. That's us. Okay? That he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh. That's what we need to experience. But made alive in the spirit. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Okay? So, to death in the flesh, alive in the spirit. He went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Very interesting, but we, don't, we won't, won't stop there. Because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah. Say with me, in the days of Noah. In the days of Noah. This is, this is the similarity. We're saying just like the days of Noah, so it is now. All right? There's something that we, a similarity that we're going to draw. Um, like in the days of Noah, 
Um, while the ark was being prepared, and now there's a lot of commas, so just stick with me. The ark was being prepared in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Verse 21, baptism, which is just like this, just like Noah's boat, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience. And this is where the phrase comes from, an appeal to God. And, and what it says here is just like um, in the times of the flood, there was a boat prepared by God to save. So in our days, there's a boat prepared to save. And maybe there will be a few that are saved. As a matter of fact, Jesus said many will try and few will be saved. All right? And it says baptism is this boat. You can get into the boat. And if you haven't been baptized, by the way, this is your, this is, this is your time to get into the boat. All right? Um, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, so this scripture says, just like in the days of Noah, so it will be with us. God is sending a boat which will give people a way of escaping that which comes justly on all the world. All right, in this instance, it says baptism is the boat, but I'm going to draw it a little bit further um, than baptism, all right? And we're going for communion, all right? Everybody say with me, communion. A groot woordkie. But it's nachmal, ne? All right, communion. So let's, let's see what is an appeal. Sean did a, a nice uh, um, a, a sermon on that a year or two ago. Uh, I really enjoyed it that day. But I'm just going to look at something which, which, yeah, is similar. So an appeal, a few definitions. An appeal is a serious, urgent, or heartfelt request. Serious, urgent or heartfelt. Okay, so here is an appeal. Somebody's boy dies in a foreign country. Say it's the mom of a soldier that gets killed in a war-torn country. The mom, her heart is torn, and then she makes an appeal. She says, can I just have the last belongings? Just send me his stuff. Just send me his clothes. What is that? An earnest, heartfelt request. This is an appeal. She appeals. She says, I've lost my son already, but can you just, all right? This is a request, an appeal. All right, serious, urgent, or heartfelt. You can feel the seriousness of the situation. Um, in cricket, you would have an appeal. So typically, there would be a bowler that bowls, and he thinks this ball was so good, the batsman should be giving out. So he goes to the umpire, he sees it, the umpire stands behind him and he says, how's that? All right, that's a typical appeal. And what does he want? He, he says, isn't that good enough to give him out, sir? All right, that's the appeal. And if you look at some of the ways that they are, they, they go like, ah, isn't that good? You, you know, he's really jumping up and down, shouting, and it's like trying to persuade the umpire to make a call and say, yes, I think that's good enough. He's out, right? That's an appeal. An appeal um, could be an entreaty. Um, so uh, um, uh, um, if you appeal to someone, so, so I, could, I could appeal to my brother and say, listen here, for the sake of our parents, let's not fight over something 
as trivial as what we're fighting about. So say me and my brother are fighting about the inheritance. Then I say, for the sake of our father that just passed away, please, let's not make this an issue. Right? It is we, 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 we attempt to persuade someone calling on a principle or a quality. Right? We, it's a, it's a, I appeal to you. Let's, let's get to an agreement. An appeal in law would be an application to a higher court to overturn the decision of a lower court. So here's the lower court. It says, Alvain, um, you are guilty of, of misconduct in your business. And so Alvain feels, hey, I'm, this is a raw deal. I'm being undone. This is, I'm being, I'm, I'm, this is not right. But, the, but this is already, the court has said you're guilty. So Alvain has got an opportunity. He can appeal a lower decision and he can appeal to a higher court and say, I have got this objection to this sentence. If they, obviously, if there's an objection. Um, can you revisit this? So it's an appeal to a higher court. Now, obviously, if we say these are the different things where we, where we could be appealing, and, and specifically where we could be appealing through communion, the question is, why would we need an appeal? All right? Who, who needs an appeal, you know? Like, like, I'm already happy. All right, let's consider. I want to show us why we need an appeal. Now, our problem, one of our main problems in this life, um, as we start off life, is that the Bible says that no one is righteous. Okay, that means we're not in right relationship with God. And, and, and it goes further to say not even one. Okay? It's no one righteous, not even one. Not the best of us, not the least of us, not the highest, the lowest, anyone, the richest or the poorest. No one is righteous by ourselves. So it's, uh, we, we sit with this dilemma, and we have to come to a point of salvation where we surrender and, and get to this acknowledgement, Lord, I need a Savior. But not only do we, do we um, sort of, uh, don't we start off righteous, obviously we, we struggle to continue in, in this, after the appeal, all right? After this, this start. And so I want to look for a moment at the dilemma that one of the best guys in history faced. Okay, so we're going to look at a history lesson from the life of Solomon. Okay? Now, who can tell me what the name Solomon means? Ruan is not allowed to answer. I'll take any one of the other Bible school students. Okay? Solomon means peace. Okay? That's fair. How do you get to that? Shalom. Okay, so here goes. Solomon comes from the word shalom, and it would mean peace or peaceable one. As a matter of fact, shalom would not just mean peace in the sense of absence of war. It means fullness. It means Nothing broken. It means complete. It means happy. It means prosperous. It means well. So if you imagine the state of absolute, ah, this is nice. That is shalom. Okay? Nice is the absence of anything. So, so at that moment, you, you, you don't have any internal turmoil. You have no internal anxiety. You've got no inter, you've, you're not worrying about a thing. All right, that's Shalom, and that is Solomon. As a matter of fact, um, God gave uh, Solomon his name, 
And so he appeared to his father, David. He says, you're going to have a son. He shall be a man of, man of peace, and you shall call his name Solomon. So, so, so Solomon had a nice vantage on life. He started off with God saying, this is who you're going to be. Name him that. Okay, it's a good, good start. So David goes, and he names his, his, his son's name Solomon. Um, and and, the, and the, uh, that before he gets born, and he is Solomon, and so and then God sends a prophet, and he gives him a second name. So, Marty, you're not allowed to answer this. Ruan, you're not allowed to answer this. Okay, next person. What is the second name Solomon got? Was it Abraham? Solomon Abraham? Or Solomon Isaac? Or What was the second name? that Most of them didn't have second names, but Solomon had a second name. Given by the Lord. Prophetic name. Okay. Yeah. Yep. It wasn't Israel. It's a good guess. Um, if you don't know it, you probably won't guess it. <laughs> All right. His name was Jedediah. Solomon Jedediah, the son of David. And Jedediah means beloved of the Lord. All right? Beloved of Yah. All right. So if for you to go from peace, everything is well with you, to next level, Beloved of Yah, that is serious favor to start off with. Okay. So this is the guy that we're going to consider, uh, consider with regards to a start in life. I'm, I'm quickly going to read for us in 1 Chronicles 22. David is speaking to his son and he tells a few things to him. He gets all Israel together and he's speaking to his son in front of them. And he says the following. 1 Chronicles 22. If you can just give that to me. Uh, verse 9. Behold, so, so, so David goes to Solomon and he says, the Lord spoke to me. He, he said these following things. And one of the things that he said, he said, behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give, that's God speaking, give him rest from all his surrounding enemies for his name shall be Solomon, i.e. it's not Israel, it will still be. He will still come. Okay. His name shall be Solomon. And I will give peace and quiet to Israel in his days. Verse 10. He shall build a house for my name. He shall be my son. I will be his father. I will be establish his royal throne in Israel forever. Now let's consider for a moment what is the, the weight of what is being said here. He will build a house for my name. The works that he will attempt to, to build the church of God. Imagine that's over your life, okay? He will build a house for my name. I will be glorified through this life. He will be my son, like he will have the understanding. I will be his father. It was like we will, we will be so close. And I will establish his royal throne forever. Who would like to come out with that kind of handicap in life? Okay? Like the prophetic word out of the mouth of God himself. Is this, you will prosper in building the church. You will prosper in being a son to me. I will be a father to you, and I will establish you like into the eternities. Now, so, so this handicap with which Solomon went into this life is, is seriously more than most of us had. To start off with, he had the position, okay? He had the position of a king's son. He had the position of being king eventually. 
Um, he had the position of power unequaled amongst the kings of Israel. Never has the kingdom been as large, as rich, as able as in the day. He had power and he had the possessions. Solomon didn't need to work a lot, okay? He worked, he did things, but he was so well off when he started off. Um, the, the amount of, of tons of gold that came in, in on a yearly base is scary if you look at what it would mean with regards to wealth. Never in the history of Israel have they ever seen such pr prosperity. It was the highest of high that you could get. Highest of high in wisdom and understanding of prosperity. Of, he, he was just so well set up. And as far as I'm concerned, except for the position, except for the power, and except for the possessions, the thing that was for Solomon were the promises. He had such promises over his life. Now, for those um, of us who know the history that um, says that it's not the way that you start, but the way that you end, which is important. And, and most of us would know that, that Solomon had a tragic end. He had a terrible fall from that height, which I start painting now. And I just want to point out one or two things. But the thing which makes me wonder is if God is speaking this, like the, the most high, you know? It's like God in heaven, the Father, the ruler, the one who spoke at the beginning and the stars were and lights were and everything is sustained. If he says over you and my life, this is what shall be, how is it possible that it doesn't play out that way? It's a valid question. It's a relevant question. Now, we, we do know that Solomon did complete the house of God, the physical building. But it seems like the seven years that he took um, to build God's house, he nearly doubled afterwards in building his own house. All right? He took 13 years in building something for himself, which is nearly double as much effort as what went into God's house. And then he went on to build houses for his queens. Um, uh, and he was gathering stuff that he shouldn't. He was, he was getting into hobbies and, and expressions of power, which the word of the Lord had explicitly forbidden them to, to do. For example, Solomon was gathering horses and horsemen, which Israel was not allowed to do. Okay? You might not know it, but Israel was not allowed to fight with horses, something that the Lord had told them. Um, um, he was... Um, he, he was marrying, Solomon was marrying not just 700 women, because that is the amount that he had married, like legal women, not the concubines, the legal ones. 700. Um, and and I, I know we do this, but let's just reverse it. He was marrying not just the fact that he was marrying 700, but he was marrying those who were forbidden. Okay? which brought him to a, 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 quite a dilemma, and that is he had to keep 700 voices happy. And to keep them happy, he was building them palaces, and he was building them places of worship, which was not the God of Israel. He was building them high places. He was building them shrines. He was building all the things which last week, which we considered that you shouldn't be doing, okay? You should not be looking to the mountains thinking, where does my help come from? And then go into the sexual immorality and all the God of this and that and the other. So, you might not know, but Solomon built um, a place of worship for Molech. 
Molech was a, was a, was a, was a demonic uh, uh, god where they made uh, child sacrifices. Okay? Solomon built that. That, uh, that the priest would, would bind this, this baby crying as it, as it would be. Uh, it, was, it was this machine that would bring it to the place where it would be. Not. Okay. All right. Solomon built this stuff. He built, he built um, 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 uh, uh, um, uh, uh, altars and stuff to, to, to Milcom. Um, they were worshiping the stars. To Chemosh. Um, Chemosh was another. It was a Moabite um, um, deity where they... Solomon's son that would follow him up one day was the son of an Ammonite woman. Ammonite woman was said they are not allowed in the congregation of Israel to the 10th generation. Okay? That means that the king on the throne after Solomon, Rehoboam, wasn't a true Jew. He wasn't allowed to come into the temple. He wasn't allowed to be part of the people of Israel. But because Solomon mucked it up seriously. And these places that Solomon built continued for at least 350 years until a king came called Josiah. 350 years. Do you know how long is that? From the day that, that the, the Dutch landed at the Cape till today is just over 350 years. That's as long as these things lasted. Destroying generations of children. Destroying and to think that that man, over his life, there was something where God said, he will be my son. I will be to my father. But it's like, how did that go so wrong in the life of Solomon? What is further, Solomon had, had his father David as an example. And he would have known the story about Saul. So Solomon firsthand would have had David telling him, how, how Saul was persecuting him for years, how he had to run, how he had to honor, how the principles were playing out until God came through. Do you know that Solomon did exactly what Saul had done when God was starting to raise up another leader? So God came at some stage and said, Solomon, this thing will not go on like this. I'm going to raise up, in this case, a true Jew called Jeroboam. He will be the next king. And Solomon starts doing exactly what Saul had done. What is that? Try and kill him. Okay? It's, it's the prophet of the Lord. Does exactly to Jeroboam what another prophet had done to his father David. He should have known the script. He should have known the story. It was an opportunity to turn and to repent. But he, no, I'm going to kill him. I'm going to. And he falls exactly, and as far as I'm concerned, further than King Saul had fallen. Now, as far as Cassie is concerned, this is super confusing, all right? This is, how on earth is it possible that, that God, I mean, this is, this is the God of the people of Israel, comes and says over an, an individual, this is what shall be in your life. It is the God who calls the things that are not as if they are, and He speaks them, and then they come to pass, and He's proven it hundreds of times, and He says it over Solomon's life, but there's just... So nothing that comes of it. How on earth is it possible? Now, the only logical answer for me <laughs> is that there is a second Solomon that would come and fulfill the word that was hanging in the air. There was a second Solomon, a man of peace, a beloved of the Lord, that would come. That would rise up 
be a man of peace, build God's house, be to God a son, God being to him a father, and establishing his throne forever. You know that Solomon's throne didn't last forever. It still lasted a few hundred years, but then it was cut off. It didn't last forever. None of these promises seem to have, except maybe that he built a house for the Lord. Okay? The other stuff didn't happen. Not as far as I can see. But a second Solomon would arise. And that is the whole point of the appeal. Is um, I think all of us need to understand that um, for the call of God, the prophetic intent of God on you and my life, the first Cassie will not do. And put your name in there. The first Solomon won't do. The first Riet, the first Eni, the first Marty, the first whoever, Ina, the first Ben John will not make the cut. The first Barry will muck it up. All right? We will not be able to perform better than Solomon. We don't have the resources. We cannot have a better handicap. And we should be learning quickly that we need to appeal to God for the second Solomon. And we need to do it. The, the, quicker, we, the quicker we get to it, the better for us. Isn't that what the, what the baptism does? Let's just um, consider that verse 21 again. So in 1 Peter 3, 21. Okay, baptism, which corresponds to the ark, now saves you. Not about the washing, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of the dead. So it says baptism, um, getting into the boat with Jesus, as it were, dying and being resurrected to life is the only way you will be saved. All right? Be saved from the first. The first needs to die and the second needs to be raised. Only chance that we've got. But the point is, there's an appeal that saves us. Just show it again. Baptism now saves you. Baptism now saves you. Now, what I want to say is that what baptism um, has uh, accomplished for the conscience once, communion can do for the conscience daily. What baptism has done for the conscience once, communion can do for the conscience daily. Why? Because it comes back to the same event. It comes back to the same incident. It comes back to that same accomplishment of God in the Spirit. So many times you would, you would hear somebody saying, Oh, my baptism, it was so precious. I wish I could be baptized again. <laughs> Who, who's with me? It was so precious. I had so much peace with God. I was in such a good space. Slowly it dwindled. I wish I could just be baptized again. What baptism did for the conscience once, baptism can do for the conscience daily. But not only for the conscience. And this is the whole point of the message. There is an appeal for more things that we've got available in the communion. Um, and that is, to start off with, we appeal to a covenant. Now, a rusty sword, stay with me, a sword with which you fight battles. Okay? A rusty sword is not as good as a polished shining one. Are you with me? Okay? Um, if, 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 if you pick up the sword, you, you're running for your life. You pick up the rusty sword. The other guys have got polished swords and they, they, they sharp. And, and this one is a little bit blunt and, and it's not. 
A rusty sword is not as good as a polished one, unless one thing, if it has got supernatural powers. Okay, so if you, if you listen to English folklore, English stories, they would say they used to have a king who got a sword, which was a magical sword. And some of you will say, oh, yes, 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 yes. I'm not going into the, into the details of this. What I'm saying is if you can pick up a sword with supernatural powers, it is worth a lot. It is worth more than a shining natural one, a rusty supernatural one. And I believe that communion is the sword with the supernatural powers. Rusty it might be, but your government on earth depends on you picking up that sword. It's not as if the sword is the only thing with which we fight a battle, right? And I know that, that there are other swords except for the rusty one. Use all the armor that you can, but I want to contend for this thing that there is a supernatural empowerment in, uh, in the communion which we need to lay hold of. And it's all to do with the appeal that we bring to God. So there's a supernatural call over every one of our lives. A supernatural call. Let's consider for a moment the people of God throughout the ages. All right? You can put your name in there. But the people of God throughout the ages. So the Emmas throughout the ages. The Alvines, the Bernards, throughout the ages, were called to have the impossible babies. They were called to get out of the impossible Egypt. They were called to pass through the impossible waves, and they were called to cross impossible deserts. They were called to conquer an impossible city, to possess an impossible land, to fight impossible giants, and to escape from impossible traps. They were called to face fire and famine and ferocious lions. They were called to catch impossible fish, to walk on impossible waters, feed impossible crowds, heal impossible diseases, deliver from impossible demons, lead an impossible revival, and fulfill impossible callings. They were called to follow an invisible God, which is impossible in the natural and we were not called for the normal, the merely the natural or the mundane. We have an upward call, a humanly impossible one, and we need a supernatural empowering. For that which God is speaking and dreaming over you and my life, we cannot tone it down to what our resources are able to accomplish. We will be downplaying a heavenly call, whereas we are called to the very virtue of God himself. So here's the thing. The whole demonic realm is crying out one thing. It was crying out in the garden 6,000 years ago. It's crying it out today. It says this, save yourself, make yourself. Save yourself, make yourself. And you can see that very same call is echoed when a second Adam comes. He's also in a garden. He's also at a tree. Uh, 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 he's in a garden that would cost him. He's in a tree that would mean the death. All of the people around him, all the demons were saying, if you are the Christ, the son of the living God, save yourself. 
Make yourself free. And all of heaven is ministering this one thing. You cannot save yourself unless it is given to you from the Father. You cannot make yourself unless it is given to you from the Father. No one can save himself. Hence, we need to appeal. And we need to appeal. And we need to appeal. We uh, appeal to what the obedience and the death of Jesus means to the Father. So when we bring an appeal, we appeal to the emotions in the heart of God. The, the, the obedience, what Jesus has done, is the most sensitive point, the most proud point, the most valuable point in all of creation. It's the place where the Son was obedient to the point of death. If you appeal to that, you are lifting the highest principle that you can lift. I want us to appeal and appeal and appeal to God in whom all the promises are yes and amen. Irrespective of our performance of yesterday. Yesterday doesn't determine the appeal. In this higher court, we are not limited to what we deserve. We can call on a principle that gives us a new start and a fresh start. But we have to appeal the verdict that says you don't deserve to live, you need to die. Um, you will never um, uh, attain to anything. You will be a failure. You will not make it. You will not reach it. You are not able to save yourself. We can appeal and say there is a higher. I believe that we need to appeal perpetually. All the time, the time, all the time, and as much as possible. And um, over over the last um, few months, as I've been trying to work this thing out of an appeal to God, um, I've just found like this is such a privilege. Why why would I wait for just once a day? Sometimes I want to do it more than once a day. Why? Because it's such a tender moment with my Father, where I appeal for the covenant. I appeal for the nearness. I appeal to the legal status of favor. Do yourself a favor and go and look at what the covenant, the new covenant means in God following us to do us good, following us to deliver, following us to write things on our heart. Do you know that, that I am persuaded that the effect of my life, Cassie's life, will determine on how much God answers my appeal? Bible says we don't have because we don't ask. I'm going flat out for appealing. Say, God, have mercy. Have mercy and lift me. And it's for each of us. It's for each one of us. No one is limited to the lower resources that we've got here. All of us can appeal by the blood to something more. What is in your heart? What is the Lord placing there? Don't try and do it. Appeal for it. And so for a moment... Um, I just want to. I just want to consider those who have never appealed. If you feel this morning like oh, I haven't been baptized, I mean, never mind communion. I haven't been baptized. Maybe you, you you've never made an appeal to God before, like you and God. I mean, like in principle, you were maybe in a church where they took communion, but you appealing to God. Maybe you've never been there, and this morning is an opportunity for that. To appeal to God, you personally. God is, God is a God of, of the group. But at the very same time, He's a God of the individual. He says, no, 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 no. It's not, it's not 
Peter next to you, you. Or the John next to you, you. I want to mean business, and I want you to mean business with me. That's the message of Christ. So maybe you've never surrendered, never been baptized. And this morning is an opportunity for you to say, God, I appeal. I want to. I want to be baptized. I want to. If that is you, maybe you can just, just give me an indication. If you've, never, if you've never done that and you feel like, this is, I need to appeal, just raise your hand. I need to see you. Maybe you have never taken communion by yourself or you have neglected appealing the throne of grace by the blood of Calvary. And if that is you, just raise your hand. Not to me, but to God. Say, Lord, that's me. Maybe this morning you are, you say, God, I'm appealing. I have been appealing. I will continue to appeal. But I'm struggling to bring others into the appeal. Help me to bring others. Help me in this, in this festive season, there where I go, to, 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 to bring my neighbor. My friend, the guy on the beach next to me, maybe the guy at the table next to me, the guy on the shopping mall next to me, to bring them to a place of appealing. If that is you, let's just raise your hand. Just raise your hand. So God, we want to. And so, Father, you have just seen. You, you see where we are, Lord. And this morning, we don't want to be in a place where we don't appeal to a throne of grace. We don't want to be proud in any way, believing the lies of the devil that says we are able. We are able to bring others to salvation. We are able to save ourselves. We are able to fulfill the call of God upon this church. Or, Lord, we are not. We are so not able. We are so not able to make the cut. And we don't want to have history repeat itself in our lives, being an example for others. We want to learn from the example of others and say, God, we are not able we are so not able, but we cry and we call upon the throne of grace. And so as we are in this moment of, of appealing and raising our hands and calling out, calling out for the help of the Spirit, can we maybe just take communion? And um, I think practically, what shall we do practically? Just come to the front, collect something, go to your seat with your family. If you want to stand somewhere, I'll lead us into this. Just get, get some, uh, uh, some of the wafers, some of the, some of the juice gathered together. Maybe you want to stand by yourself altogether. That's fine. Maybe you want to stand with your spouse or with a friend. But let's just stay in this attitude. Coming for an appeal. For supernatural power.
Father, we just want to come um, longing um, to, to partake of an appeal that was put forward uh, uh, by yourself, Father, a legal appeal, an appeal based on the blood of your Son, darling of heaven, the most precious, most consecrated, the favorite. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Jesus. We love you so much, Lord. And so, Lord, we want to come out of the complexities of our life, out of the entanglements, all the disqualifications. We want to come out of every accusation of the devil that says why we cannot come. And we want to come to the one who silences. The knowing one who is also the paying one. Hallelujah. Lord, we come to the paying one and we simply want to come. Lord, this morning we don't want to come with reasonings. We come. We come. We, 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 we come bare. We come naked. But we are coming confident in your ability to save and to silence. Lord, we want to, we want to be found in you. We simply want to be found within the one within whom all of life finds meaning, within whom all of hell gets lost, and within whom all the church has a destiny. Lord, we simply come and we appeal for favor. We appeal for power. We appeal for supernatural empowerment. We appeal for supernatural anointing. We appeal for angelic help. We appeal for a reversal of ancient curses. We appeal, Lord, that there will be a reversal of lower court judgments that are arranged against these lives. And we appeal for a breakthrough. We appeal that you will give out the devil, that you will, that you will, that you will disqualify the accuser in these lives, Lord. And that you will bring every single one of us back to a place of a clean slate. A new chapter. A confidence. Fresh hope. Lord, there is something in your heart as you look at the appeal. And it is more than what we are mentioning this morning. But we want to find it. We want to find what you mean. And Lord, I know that one of the things that you say is, is this is the body of Christ that is broken for us, for our healing. I trust you for physical healing this morning, Father, as a manifestation of your word. I trust you, God, that, that you would bless this, this, this juice, this cup, Lord, which we are taking. I pray that you would bless it as if it was the blood of Jesus that we were drinking this morning. I pray that the grace which was invested in the blood, will manifest in the lives of these individuals this morning. Lord, we want to declare this is a cup of blessing. It is a cup of favor. It is a cup of breakthrough. And we want to partake with the expectation that there will be supernatural breakthrough in the lives of these individuals that are partaking this morning. Oh God, we pray that you will be glorified as we are lifted and overcome. In your name, Lord Jesus. And then I pray, Lord, that you would set in motion a series of events, Lord, like we have not seen before. Lord, I pray that you would set in motion 
a, a series of events that would span our lifetimes, that would transcend our lifetimes and that of our children and our children's children until the very day that Jesus comes again. Lord, we trust you, God, that there will be a setting in motion, a series of blessings like we have not experienced before, breakthroughs like we couldn't dream of. I trust you, God, for spiritual encounters, open the visions, open heavens. Lord, we trust you, God, that there will be a breakthrough of dreams, of a manifestation of power. Lord, we trust you, God, that there will be a breakthrough of salvations and that this church will bring in a large harvest of souls. God, we trust you, God, for anointing and for unction that flows from the throne. God, we do not come based on what we can. We do not come based on our number. We come based on what is in your heart, oh God. As you gave your son, the intensity with which you gave him, the intent with which you gave him, we come based on that, oh God. We call on it, not understanding, but hoping for more than what we can see, what we can ask for, and what we can imagine. That's what we hope for, God. And so we pray that you would bless this, this, this bread and that you would bless this juice and cause something to happen as we partake. In your name, Lord Jesus, we pray. over us uh, the blessing of Hebrews 13 from verse 20 it says now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant that which we've partaken of just now equip you with everything good that you may do his will May He be working in us that which is pleasing in His sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. The Lord bless you. May you go in this week loving well, appealing and appealing healing as good as we know how. Amen. God bless you.